0: If you've invested in your business, chances are you've funded future growth potential through leverage, and after filling out loan applications and undergoing credit checks. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses. So read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. Betashares Capital Limited is the issuer.
1: Welcome to the Australian Business Podcast. I'm Daniel Golubev.
0: I'm Jordan Kittis. I'm Owen Rask. We're here to help you make more profit, find work-life balance, save time, capital, and grow your business.
1: Every week, we drop the best tax tips, marketing hacks,
0: growth strategies, and methods to help you grow.
1: If you haven't already, take the free Rask Business Course.
0: Book a chat with me or Daniel at Grayspace. Or get in contact with us about business coaching. We also love hearing
1: from you. So send us your questions and feedback using the resources found in the podcast player for each episode.
0: Let's get into it. Daniel, how are you going, mate?
1: Oh, I'm good. How are you?
0: Pretty good, pretty good. Today we are going live for the Australian Business Podcast, uh, and the episode goes out on a Sunday, Arvo, every Sunday, Arvo. Uh, We'd love to answer your questions, hear from you, whether you're live on a Friday afternoon when you hear us go live and you join in and you share your perspectives and feedback and questions, or if you just send us a question via the Ask a Question link that's in your podcast player, just select the Australian Business Podcast. We have had a few questions sent in advance today, mate, And it's just you and me flying with the wind instead of Jordan being with us today. Hopefully he's back with us soon on deck. Um, What's been happening? How's your week been? It's been good.
1: It's been good. We've been working away. It's been busy. We're just, now that we're in the back back end of the year, it's just putting the head down and getting the work out, really. Um, Do you take any new clients this time of year? We've got heaps of new clients coming on Yeah, It's constant. Now, I, f- I feel like a lot of people in the back end of the year, they obviously make their sort of that new year resolution, whatever it is. Don't do anything and then years about our end, That's quickly either make changes, make some, you know, differences, inquire even. Um, but I feel like the, to be fair, the inquiries haven't slowed and they haven't increased. It's been fairly steady. I haven't really felt a, an increase or a decrease.
0: How many new uh, clients would you get a month or whatever? How do you think about it?
1: It's hard. That's more a question for Jordan. That's his job, to track that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it depends, uh, depends who you're counting, right? Because individual clients come through you know, every couple of days. They don't really count, in my opinion. They're just quick in and out. Um, generally tracking businesses, maybe 10. Yeah, that's good flow. Good yeah, folk. five between five and ten. It depends on again the size of the businesses, um,
0: mm.
1: sort of, and who's sort of getting in contact. And some months are good, some months are. Well, it like, fluctuates. It's hard. It's so hard to just like gauge. Well, at least
0: like you said last week, it's um, it's one of those things where once you find a really good accountant, you don't tend to change. Yeah. Um, and so that's really sticky. Um, client base that's coming in the door and it just layers on top. Like every year it just gets thicker and thicker and thicker, that cake that you're, yeah. you're getting. So it's, that's awesome. Um,
1: yeah, it, it is really good, but and I think we're also facing like – our industry is not known for being that great, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, most people aren't happy with their accounts, but they don't think it's greener on the other side. And sometimes it isn't. Like you don't know, you talk to some people, they go to two three accounts and they're still not happy. So at that point mm-hmm. in time, do you just stay? Like the grass yeah. isn't greener. And they've tried, um, but it does get greener. Eventually you just got to find the right person and the right person well, to do it the right way.
0: Well, our podcast is green. The logo is green. Um, and Gray Space, you guys host the podcast. So there yeah, you go. Well, I hope it is greener on the other
1: side. Yeah, with us it is. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? Hopefully we get to break that stigma a little bit. Um, we're not a traditional firm, we don't plan to be, and we don't plan to turn into one. So hopefully we can, you know, help some, some, help some people out while we're, while we're doing what we do.
0: Yeah, cool. I like it. Um, so every week we try and bring like something to the table um, that's not just questions. So we'll get to the questions in a minute, but um, many people will know I had the privilege of speaking just briefly with a guy called Shane Parish. This week for the Australian, for all of our podcasts, actually, we'll go across all episodes, all channels. But one thing that he had, and he talked about this in his podcast with Tim Ferriss for people that are interested. And this book that he has is called Clear Thinking by Shane. It's a wonderful book, New York Times bestseller. And what he has is this idea of an automatic rule. And um, so, an automatic rule uh, is basically a way to shortcut our decision-making towards something that is um, beneficial for us in the long term. And so I got thinking about this, like one of his rules, which happened to be one of my rules, I didn't even realize it, was that, um, and I can kind of just paraphrase his answer to this question yesterday, but it, it, he struggled, in his words, he said he would struggle, he would go to the, try to aim to go to the gym three times a week, you know, every week of the year. And what he realized is that every time he thought about maybe I'll go today, maybe I'll go tomorrow, maybe it'll be Wednesday, maybe a Tuesday night, whatever. Um, every time he had to do that, he had to basically make a decision of when he would go. Like which day works? How's he feeling that day? Maybe I'll go tomorrow, put it off. And everyone knows this. Like you're like, yeah, I'll start my diet tomorrow. Or yeah, you know, I'm not going to have that burger on a Thursday night. It's, uh, you know, I'll wait and I'll have it tomorrow night. Or I'll, I'll maybe I'll have it tonight instead of tomorrow night. You know, you just make these decisions. And, um basically he comes up with this idea of an automatic rule which is it's a there's an e- he says there's an easier way to create new behaviors that will help you get what you want so this book is all about decision making and making better choices for yourself longer term and um he says that like sometimes people make these rules where uh, so they don't make rules but they have like this framework they're like i'll go to the gym three times a week and um what happens is even if they do achieve that goal of consistently going three times a week, then they have to continue making that decision to go three times a week. Yeah. And if they don't, then they won't keep the habit, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he talks in the book about a lot of different things, about like how uh, great character comes from habits. Um, and the, the, I'll, I'll, I'll be kind of quick and uh, simple with this. Um, but he says like... Uh, When people have those rules of like, I'm going to take, you know, four clients a week or five clients a week or something like that, and I'm going to say no to some, basically what it does is it forces you to make a decision. And every time you make a decision, it takes mental energy. So why not, instead of having decision-making framework, why not just have rules, like automatic rules that apply? So he says, why not bypass individual choices altogether and create an automatic behavior, a rule that requires no decision-making in the moment and gets you no pushback from others and he says the execution path is short and less prone to error in a quirk of psychology people actually p- people typically don't argue with your personal rules they just accept them as features of who you are people question decisions but they respect rules like don't speed over 80 kilometers in that zone right and so he he has this thing where he said, The way I decided on my automatic rules is I imagine a film crew following me around documenting how successful I was. Regardless of whether I was a success or not, how would I act to show someone I deserved my success? What would I want them to see? What am I doing that I would want them not to see because I'm embarrassed or ashamed? Uh, And he goes on to say, "Um, we all know something we can stop doing that would improve our odds of success. And so he said, I decided to create a space every day to work on my biggest opportunities. And so he says, imagining this film crew watching me make my breakfast for my kids and then going to work. While the film crew would be expecting to see meetings and people ask me for things, what they'd see is no calls and no meetings until lunch. So I could spend time working on the most important opportunity. This is where my no meetings before lunch rule came from. And so I I thought about this as like, what would be my automatic rules for business? And I think over the last couple of years, I've realized that I tend to be a bit of a yes man, if I'm honest, Daniel. Like I tend to be someone who says yes to a lot of opportunities. But like when we had um, uh, the guys from Blackbird on the podcast earlier this year, uh, basically what they told me is like, as you get bigger, as your brand gets bigger, as your business gets bigger, you have to begin to say no more often than yes. Obviously, in the early days, we know everyone takes the cup of coffee or the meeting, right? And you say yes to clients. And you're like, shit, this is not a good client. But I'm going to say yes because I need the money. But that habit of saying no gets actually difficult. And you kind of need a moment in time to reflect on this. So over Christmas, what I'm going to do for the business is I'm actually going to set these automatic rules. And I've already set them once, to be honest. Um So now on our podcast, I automatically say no to any PR company that emails me for an interview. So what I mean by that is like we get dozens of emails every month, guys, for people to appear on the RAS network, like dozens. The PR company's writing this. I'd love to interview my talent, my guest. You can speak on this. You can do that. And I'd no, no, because the quality of the podcast tend to be lower Is that because they don't want to be there?
1: It's an obligation for them?
0: It's because it's like paid. It's basically they're paying the PR company for their intent. I find that like a lot of the times when there's a PR company involved, there is an incentive, so you need to know what that incentive is. Oftentimes, we get a lot of proposals. Probably the one time I would say yes, and I don't do this because now it's my automatic rule, but the one time I would say yes to a PR person reaching out to me is if the person has a book. Okay, so why is that? Because if they've written a book, they've probably demonstrated some form of deeper knowledge on a subject. But if someone reaches out and they're like, hey, you know, the Australian Business Podcast, we've got this new, we've got this person that we're working with. They make um, solar panels for agricultural businesses or something. I'll be like, cool, but why are you doing this? And oftentimes what they're doing is, is they're trying to do PR because they need to do a capital raise or like they need to they want to sell the company, yeah. and if you think about that from a content perspective for our community, we don't want to put that on the network because they're basically just coming on to pump their own tires and not to add real value. But a person who writes a book, you can typically find like four or five things in their book just through a quick skim read, where they'll be really really useful. So I think that the only reason our podcasts work is because we're useful, and so in chains terms that's our opportunity is to be the most useful podcast the most helpful and so anything that gets in the way of that is going to be an automatic rule no um that's just one example of where it kind of lies um but like i give you another example that tim ferris shared on his podcast which was that for like five years he had an automatic no rule for speaking gigs and then he had another rule which was quite interesting that when he started to resume those gigs is he had Another rule that every new, uh, the only time he would ever take another speaking gig is when it passed the previous high watermark in terms of price.
1: Okay.
0: So like he charges $10,000 for a 15-minute speaking gig, say, for example, next time you got to pay 12000 Nice. You know, so I was thinking about that. Maybe um, over Christmas we can all think of some rules for our business based on where we are at this point in time. Like what are our long-term goals and what automatic? rules can you put in place for you and your team to say this is the decision we're going to make going forward this is not even a decision this is the like the rule that we're applying across the entire business to optimize towards our long term goal
1: that's cool i think it's really important i think that you know maybe we'll, because every business has these rules they're just not specified and yeah. i think that's very similar to like goal setting and goal planning where you may have these goals that just sort of floating in the brain out yeah. of, call it the, the head people. Um, but then putting it down, writing it always makes it real and almost makes it a process, mm. All yeah. right, Because um, I know we, like I want to say, we, me and Jordan, every year we sit down and we do a strategy day where we talk about not work but the business because they're two very different things, right? Um, I think adding something like that and formalising rules, mm. I think a lot of people would probably get. A lot of use out of it and a lot of help and i think it'll help down reaching your goals as well and building mm. into that component
0: absolutely and they don't have to be forever they can be fluid and um they can be values based so at the moment mm. before, we had this rule with all of our internal communications through slack and whatever because we're long-term investors at The Motley Fool, and I am still today, long-term investors. But what a lot of people do in the finance world is they use ticker symbols, like the the little letter codes to identify a share or an ETF. Mm -hmm. And they actually outlawed that in internal communications. So they said, you cannot do that, Um, which is a wonderful rule, a business automatic rule that says, we're gonna augment our thinking each and every day, our language, to be long-term investing, everything that we do is an automatic rule. No ticker symbols, no none of that. Um, it's always the company, so it reminds you of long-term investing is about identifying companies. It's not about trading patterns, about ticker symbols, about that bullcrap. It's about businesses. So that's like their value set, and then someone else might have a different value set. But like, what automatic rules can you do to put in there? And I, I guess one of mine that I need to that I need to get better at, and it's something I've been trying to work on, is knowing the value of my time. I think we all have trouble with this as business owners or at least most of us have trouble with like pricing ourselves and feeling bad about asking for money. Um, but one thing I've been go- doing more re- recently is like, like it's basically pay to play. If you're going to get me to do something or get our company to do something for you, you've got to pay us. Otherwise, don't worry about it.
1: Yeah, you've got to like, remember it's it's not even about an hourly value as well. It's, it's about the value proposition that you've got. And I yeah. think- a lot of the time, the reason business owners can't move past that and sort of create that value is because they haven't really thought about it. Like you need to know your value proposition. Like something might take you an hour to do, but it's probably worth about five grand. Because if you could save someone ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars within your hours of time, and the years and years and years that it's taking you to, you know, form that opinion or find that strategy or figure out why, how to make you know X result occur. You need to get paid for that. Mm, and I love I think, love I, I, think I, I used this. I think it was one of our episodes with me and Jordan. Um, person. and so it's a very common. I'm sure you've heard it as well about the the engineer that came in to the power plant that was melting. He went into the the power plant, flicked one switch, and fixed the issue itself. Sent an invoice for ten grand, and the the owner comes back saying, "How can you invoice me ten grand? You were here for one minute." you hit one button so he goes no worries let me change the invoice and he sent through a revised invoice where it was one dollar to flick the switch nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine to know which button to press so it's that same concept, that value proposition where someone just know you know sort of where you're at what you're worth and what benefit you provide to someone with your service absolutely that and formalizing that i think that's when knowing your value will become a lot easier
0: you know what it's really interesting i think there's a kind of activity that you can do if you're sitting at home and you're listening to this or you're in your car or you're the gym whatever you're doing is if someone was to ask you what you do like literally what is it that you do what how could you explain that in 15 seconds in thirty seconds, could the, could you actually explain what your business does in fifteen or thirty seconds? And if you can't do that, I don't think you know what your your value prop is. And what I mean specifically is, a lot of people go, "Yeah, we have like widgets and features, and we do this, this, and this, and this, and this." If you don't actually identify with how it makes your customers feel, then you're not you don't know what problem you're solving. Mm-hmm. Because the reason the businesses exist is to solve problems, and that be, that comes because people um need help with something so you need to help them solve a problem and that's a transformation a lot of like marketers know this when you do marketing you sell a transformation you don't sell widgets you don't sell features you sell a transformation how it makes you feel how apple makes you feel when you pick it up makes you feel secure you know your privacy is taken care of you feel okay you feel kind of cool picking up an apple device right um you're driving a tesla you feel like you're contributing to the environment, even though, who knows? Um, you feel like you've got a fast car. You feel like you're in, you're a, a growth-focused person. So you make people feel like they're exceptional. And um, a lot of people don't understand that. Like Starbucks made people feel at home. It was their second home. It was their third place, he would call. Um, Howard Schultz, he would say, Starbucks is your third place. You've got your home, your work, and then you've got your third place. And that's how it makes you feel. And like, I try and apply this for RAS, like how do we make people feel? What problem do we solve? We make people feel financially secure. And how do we do that? We're making them feel informed. I think that's really, really valuable. Um, Okay, so we've got some questions sent in advance. Um, There were two in particular. Uh, Let me just get them up. Uh, Okay, here we go. And one of them is pretty close to my heart. Uh, Maybe we'll, we'll leave that to the end. So Jeffy the Builder writes in and says... Um, I know the business podcast has recently spoken about insurances, but it would be great if you could elaborate on the pros and cons for professional indemnity insurance for business owners, in particular for the tradey sector. We're not um, insurance brokers. We're not insurance advisors, so keep that in mind. There are people who specialise in that. But what do you think, Matt?
1: Yeah, I think you probably because we get a lot of questions on insurance, right, I've actually not be bad. Yeah, get a broker who specializes in all the different products um, to jump in with us. We don't really, we point people in the right direction. We don't really comment on on insurances. Mm. But for professional indemnity insurance, personally, I don't really know how relevant that is for the trading sector. I think the only areas in the trading sector that that would be relevant would be like the engineers. Um,
0: Builders, architects.
1: Yeah, architects, engineers, maybe some drafts people. Um, but in terms of like, you know, even builders, though, even I don't, I don't really know if you would apply for builders because they're the ones, you know, doing the works as well. That would fall under public liability. That wouldn't fall under professional indemnity. Professional indemnity falls more if there's a piece of advice that someone else has to follow, right? So, for example, us as accountants, we've got, you know, PI insurance, lawyers, um, like I said, engineers, um Mm. medical you know any medical industry that would be relevant but if you're a builder and you know you've done some plans generally you're the one executing those plans as well Mm. i'm not a specialist but that will generally fall under public liability in in my opinion because you're the one executing as well so that's where it gets a little bit tricky and i think
0: i'm going to share something from bizcover.com.au If your business or profession involves providing a service or advice, then professional indemnity insurance is a must-have. It protects professionals against liability for damages and the legal costs associated with defending yourself against claims arising from an act, omission, um, or breach of duty in the course of your work. Your public liability policy does not provide protection if there is a if financial loss only, or if the cause of the loss was a breach of professional duty. So it's important you know the difference. So a lot of people have public liability. If they have a cafe, they'll have public liability, protecting people coming on and slipping on a banana peel. We definitely have to have professional indemnity insurance because we are an advice giver at the RAS Group. And it's really important that everyone knows the, the, I guess, the implications for each uh, sector that you're in. I'll give you an, like, this is just one type of many insurance. We've obviously got public liability, professional. Another thing that's becoming increasingly um, noticeable in a more digitized world is cyber insurance. So oftentimes when you have a profession where you do have professional indemnity insurance, there may also be a cyber policy or some terms for cyber within that. So say, for example, you are an architect and um, your designs, I don't know, for whatever reason, they're protected under some sort of confidentiality. They escape They're out in the wild um, and you are taken to court because, you know, there's something that happened. Well, that could be covered, just hypothetically speaking, by cyber policy. Um, And so it's really important that you understand that side of it. Some people used to think that professional indemnity would be covered by like like that negligence, like cyber. Mm. Um, But in this world that we live in, that's really important. The other ones that you would have if you're um, a tradie would be like work cover. these types of things those are probably the most important things that you would come across
1: that's Um, generally mandatory anyway so most trading businesses should have that coming through there whatever state they're operating in
0: yeah um and a lot of tradies will also may if you're like the the person you're not just a subcontractor but you're the person that quotes the job you will have to provide a certificate that you to say that you are insured as well and you do have insurance for your business And the way you do that is you go to your insurer and you just request a certificate of insurance. They'll typically send that to you when you pay your first premium, even if you're paying month to month. Mm -hmm. Um, And you'll just have to send a copy of that across. Um, If you don't have, like some of them say like you need like a scanned copy or that sort of stuff. You don't always need that. Sometimes you can just use, there's actually a, On speaking of Apple, um, if you use your notes app, you can actually do a, a photo scan with your notes app on your Apple iPhone. And it's clearer than most scanners, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I've got Adobe Scan, I think it just, an old app that's constantly just been on my phone for for many years now. I didn't know it did that, um, but it actually works better than our scanner in the office,
0: to be honest. Yeah, Cam Scan, and you can just send it across, yeah. Um, so there are many different different types of insurance, and we will get someone on. Like, to, to put it in perspective, professional indemnity insurance is it's almost, it's not impossible to do it yourself, but I've read many of these different policies given my financial background and the fact that we have insurance, and it is almost impossible for any normal person to understand. And when I say normal, even me as a finance person, I don't really understand them, and I'm qualified to give advice on some insurance. So Mm. it's really complicated. But in this instance, if you're just rocking up at a job site, there are probably other on-job insurances or covers that you need before this. Um, So just keep that in mind.
1: Yeah, I'd probably recommend speaking to a broker, and that's coming from experience as well because, like you said, We're not brokers, but we we have a very good understanding of most things in the Mm. financial world. Um, And I think insurance does fall into that category. Um, But, for example, like when we first got ours, I, I made a mistake and I went with the wrong underwriter. So it turns out the underwriter took our premium, gave us a policy, and then one of the correspondents at a later date was like, oh, hey, by the way, you're not covered because your legal structure doesn't fit in with our policy. I was like, right, so you've been charging me my premium. I've been paying for it. I think I've had insurance the whole time. And then now you now I've called to up to to increase the coverage. And you're telling me I'm not going to be covered anyway, but you'd be taking my money. Yeah. So and it's little like little things in the policy that we don't really understand. So going to a broker and the broker's like, No, no, they're right. They wouldn't have covered you. You need to go to a certain specific underwriter to make sure that it's yeah. um Sort of it's, ticking all the right boxes, and it's the little things in insurance. If the insurance company can sort of find the smallest little reason not to pay it out, they probably won't.
0: And this is the thing. This is so. This is a good lesson for anyone. If you think you've got like income protection insurance or uh, death cover, say for a super, or you hold it in your own name, you've seen it. You've done it yourself on the on a health uh, on a life insurance website. You should know that if you pay for the insurance and you think you go through like the underwriting process where you answer a couple of questions, are you a smoker, non-smoker, blah, blah, blah. You can actually pay that insurance policy for 10 years and then find out that you're not covered.
1: Mm.
0: And you don't get your money back. You just find out that you don't have cover. Yeah. And and I've heard of this happening for people that have like say so they increase their insurance cover um, through superannuation for income protection, because you can hold that there. Or like your death insurance, right? And you mm-hmm. go, yep, I answered the 10 questions on Australian Supers website. Bada bing, bada boom, paid the pro- the increased policy for 10 years. There was a waiting period sure, No worries. 10 years down the track, you find out that you're, you, you're, you're dead. Your family finds out. They can't get rid of your business debts. They can't get rid of the, the, the mortgage that you had because you didn't actually do a full medical or you weren't covered for the particular things or you didn't disclose. And you need to get proper advice. You absolutely need to get proper advice. You can head to a um, website called Steadfast, dot to find out more about business insurance. And you can connect with a broker that way. Um, so check that out. Um, I'm sure bizcover.com.au does a similar type of thing. So you can give them a call and get quotes online. Um, so the next question that came through was from um, Tom. I'm not mistaken, who said, I want to own my occupational therapist private practice one day. I think they meant their own private uh, occupational therapist practice or OT practice. Would it be smarter to start a low-cost mobile service first and save the profit and build clientele before buying a practice and hiring staff? How much roughly should I be aiming to first start the mobile service and how much to then eventually scale towards a practice. Now, this is a very general question, Tom, um, and obviously we don't know where you're at in terms of your business, but just generally speaking,
1: Daniel, what do you think? I think when it comes to sort of starting anything service-based, I think it's probably the easiest business to start because you, your costs are minimal. Well, you've got yeah. some insurances. You need, a, obviously, some type of vehicle and some of your basic equipment, which probably most OTs Have already started sort of collating, so the cost to start up a mobile service would be really, really low. And I think it's a really good opportunity to not just build a clientele but build your skill set in terms of you know, um, you know, service delivery, you're building a foundation of you know, automatic um, processes in the back end because you want to start building these things up as a business from the beginning, as well as sales as well as creating lead flows as well as you know testing out different areas like uh, i think starting a service-based business really really small is not a bad idea i think Mm. the skill set and the journey to become that call it owner of a practice the the journey itself provides a lot more value than just the money component Mm. is it easier to just buy one and start operating probably but the teething issues there are probably going to be a lot more expensive and a lot harder.
0: Mm. I think um, I kind of agree with you there that I wouldn't buy an OT business. but So I, this is pretty close to home for me because my partner's actually an OT mm. um, and works in the industry. And um, the OT industry has become an amazing industry and a profession in Australia. And one of the reasons, not the sole reason, but one of the reasons is that um, in uh, OTs are basically like gatekeepers now of the NDIS, so the National Disability Insurance Scheme. So basically you have to, if you're you're a family member or you have a disability, you obviously have uh, an account manager either through a managed plan or something like this at the NDIS. And then you basically need an OT, you don't have to, but you basically need OTs like approve services or to give you access or to help you. Um, And so they become this exceptional profession in Australia where they have set rates of money that you can make from the NDIS. Now, since the NDIS has started, I'm being very specific. You can also go through um, TAC. You can get registered as a provider there. Um, You can get registered as a provider for Veterans Affairs. You can get registered as a provider for private practice. If that's what you want, you want to specialize in pediatrics or something, who knows? Um, And of course, you can be an OT in a hospital, but then it's not your own business. Um, But at the end of the day, um, I think in the OT business, if you're wanting to specialize or just be an NDIS provider, is actually a wonderful business opportunity for anyone who has a little bit of experience right now. I think if you want to make a lot of money as an OT right now, you can start a business and you can immediately start billing at the $192 an hour, $196 an hour, whatever it is, with zero barriers to entry other than being a qualified OT and you're capable of giving the advice. And I think what's going to happen over the next 10 years, Daniel, is I think the NDIS, it's already happening, is going to become more compliance heavy. And we're seeing this and the rates probably won't rise as fast because that would mean more budget deficits for the government. So if I was an OT today, I would be looking to make my road inwards to starting a business as soon as possible. That said, I agree with what you said is you need the experience first. And one of the things that I would be looking for if I was an OT right now is I would be looking how do I invest in the right software and the right billing software for the NDIS, for compliance, for audits and that sort of stuff because you do get audited and all these things. And that is by far the most complex part of this business. If we just sit back and think about it, and I often remark over this to my partner, Imagine if you have a business where you have unlimited customers. You don't need to go out and find them. They find you because the current wait time on some OTs under the NDAs is over 12 to 24 months. Yep. That's how much in demand they are in Australia. It is an incredible business opportunity for OTs right now because people with disabilities actually need you. And the people who manage their case files actually are trying to find you. So, I would, if I was anyone in this situation, I would not be looking at going and starting a, like going to get an office space or doing that. Um, Even though it's safer for therapists and it's a, a better environment to get them to come to you. I would say, start small, be very picky with your clients. If you can be just being aware of the commercial realities of that, you can't knock back everyone and all that sort of stuff. And I would be trying to, as Daniel said, put the system in place now for how you're going to manage their files. That is the number one thing. Second of all, um, is get a very off, like simple website. Don't forget, we're doing the webinar in another week or so. You can get. I'll show you how to make a website for like fifty bucks a month. That's not, I didn't actually think of that plug, but there'll be a link in the show notes. Attend the bloody webinar so you can make the website yourself. Doesn't need to be fancy as an OT. Just needs to show that you care and who you are and what services you provide. Um. Build that website, get that um, presence so you're, you're verifiable and start to manage how you're going to be approved through the NDIS and manage the workflow. The reason that's important is because, in my opinion, Daniel, this type of business does not scale well.
1: You're right, it, it's hard to scale. Very hard to scale.
0: Particularly when the the rate that you're paid is set for you. Um, you don't have control over that. It's a good rate. but. Everyone else knows this. Um, and so you've got to figure out a way where you have, if you want to get to 50 OTs, I don't think that's what most people would want because it's probably a headache. But if you do get to that, you're going to need obviously accountants, marketers, compliance, probably a lawyer, probably a tech person, yeah. probably like two dozen support staff and that sort of thing. I think the the sweet spot for this type of business might be around three to four practitioners and maybe like one support person. Um but there's a chance to make hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially providing a good service that people need yep. with no barriers to entry. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so I think there's no real
1: sort of reason for Tom not to just start. See, even give it a crack to begin with. Well,
0: yeah, he can, depending on his, he might have a non-compete where he is right now.
1: Mm-hmm. If he's got is a that non- a non-compete on like a kilometre radius or is it on it services? Be. Or how does the, usually work in the, the OT space?
0: It's, it can depend, mm-hmm. but... um. Look at the – people can get legal advice on this and it's worth a few hundred bucks it costs. But there may be a non-compete in your area. It may be a duration of time. Um, There are certain rules that apply by certain states, so check that out. But um, these people are all over the place. And what I know is that with the NDIS, from my understanding, is the regional areas are particularly in need. So um, maybe into a mobile service. The mobile service is I go to – an hour away twice a week, Mm. you know, and I see all my clients and then I do all the plans and all the back office stuff the other three days, which by the way you may be able to bill for as well, Mm. um, and the travel time you may be able to bill for. So you could coordinate it so that you can start the mobile service without paying for a lease, without paying for this or that, get it off the ground, but most importantly sort out the software that you need to manage the clients and sort out the NDIS process and then start to filter clients through that you want to work with. That would be my advice initially. And it's a great opportunity, as I said. So, um, Tom, if you want to write into us, you can let me know where you are and uh, I may be able to get you more advice on that. But for example, Daniel, you may have heard when we had Alexander on the show from uh, Mid Coast Yard Services yeah. recently. I spoke to him and I've been working with him to try and get through this. But um, getting approved through the NDIS for his business is also a really compelling thing. Um, so he may be able to provide yard services to people with disabilities who really need it. So great opportunity. around. So that's basically it, mate. Um, so I know you're under the pump at the moment. You've got a lot going on. You're working hard to get clients coming through the door, but if people want to get in contact with you, they can head to grace space advisory. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. People can click on that and they can book in a call basically straight away on the website. So go and check out if you want, if you are one of these end of year, new year, new business type people, get in contact with Daniel Jordan and the team at Gray Space Advisory. Um, you can find a link to get in contact with me in there as well as plenty of ways. Um, we are hosting that webinar in a couple of weeks where you can just come along and ask questions live um, as we build an online presence together for new businesses uh, and existing businesses, frankly. It doesn't matter what kind of business you want. I can tell you how to make an e-commerce business in 60 minutes. Um, so, Cool. All right, mate. This is heaps of fun. Well, Great.
1: No, I'll be logging into that one as well. Just cool. Just come along.
0: Just heckle the presenter. Yeah, um, I'll be in the back.
1: I'll get the yeah. bounces on me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just putting the name tags on people as so they come through and say, no, nah, you're out, mate. Uh, uh, cool, mate. Well, I appreciate your time. So, um, yeah, thanks again. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. I think this series is best served with my free business course on RASC education. My free course includes all of my notes, templates, employment guides, legal documents, marketing strategies, software recommendation, and ideas for starting and running a small business. Finally, if this podcast or the course helps you, I only ask that you please help me by sharing it with one friend, colleague, or family member who runs a business. Thanks for listening.